Morning, everyone. If you could uh, finish up your conversations. Right, welcome. Uh, see lots of uh, new faces today. Welcome here if you haven't been before. It's fantastic to see you. And particularly the families of Tom and Zach, uh, who will be getting baptized shortly, which is super exciting. I lead the youth here uh, at Southwest London Vineyard, so to see these two young guys get baptized today, I'm just very excited about. But before that, I'm going to speak about hope. Over the last few weeks, we've been um, going through a series on Advent, and Kate and Claudine have talked about waiting and patience as part of that series. And today, I'm going to talk about hope, and specifically, the hope we have because of Jesus. Now, Instinctively, I'm an optimist, which, because I'm an optimist, I think is great. But it doesn't always lead to good things being an optimist. I'm informed by my wife that sometimes my timekeeping isn't great. I might underestimate time sometimes. Coming back from Richmond to Putney on a Friday afternoon, I might think, oh, it's fine. 12 minutes, 10 minutes, two hours probably. <laughs> Um, or we bought a very complicated-looking bunk bed when we first moved into our house. I looked at it and I thought, hour and a half, probably doesn't need two people, it'll be fine. Nine o'clock that night, having started at nine in the morning, I was still going. So being a time optimist isn't always good. And with my work, before I was um, working in the church, I was a, an accountant, and more specifically looking at how to help companies plan well for the future, plan their finances well. And being an optimist in that job doesn't work that well. <laughs> if a company came to me now and said, we're back a bit cash strapped, we're thinking about taking out a big loan to open up some fashion shops on the high street, I might say, if I was an optimist, I'd say, yeah, great. High street's going to bounce back, interest rates, inflation, they're going to come back to normal soon. Probably wouldn't be the best advice right now. So, I've learned that optimism isn't always the best way. What's better is probably realism, to look at what's happened in the past, what's happening now, to give hope and plan for the future. And the reason I mention all that is because optimism sometimes gets confused with hope. And hope also gets confused with wishful thinking. And optimism in the dictionary is described as emphasizing the good parts of a situation or a belief that something good will happen. That sounds about right. A wish, and I quite like this definition, a wish is to, hope, is to hope that something you want will be made real because of good luck or magical powers. That's the tossing a coin in a fountain and wishing I'll win, win the lottery the next day. And finally, hope. Hope, I think over the years, has probably been changed a little bit in the way we use it. Historically, it's been quite a way term. These days, we use it Sometimes in that way, and sometimes we, and I use it to say, I hope it doesn't rain. I hope I win the lottery ticket with this, with this uh, win the lottery with this ticket. But actually in the dictionary and in the Bible, it's described differently. So hope is to want something to happen or to be true, and usually, and this is the important bit, to have a good reason to think that might happen. And that last bit about having good reason is really important. And it's how hope 
actually historically is being used, and it is how it's used in the Bible. Hope in the Bible is backed with evidence through history to have a sure hope for the future. Now, in the New Testament, there's uh, an apostle, which is a, a friend of Jesus, someone who followed Jesus for his time in ministry and learned from Jesus, an apostle called Peter, who is sometimes called the Apostle of Hope. And he, he planted some churches, and he supported some churches, and he, about 30 or 40 years after Jesus died, he learned that there were some churches in what is now Turkey that were really struggling. There were some Christians there who were being persecuted and oppressed, and he wanted to write to them, so he wrote two letters to them, to give them hope, to bring them some degree of hope and encouragement. And early on in the first of his letters, in chapter 1, he says, there it is, look, he says, Praise be to, the God, to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. In these verses, Peter looks backwards to justify the future. He looks backwards at what Jesus has done to talk about the sure hope for the future. He points to Jesus' death and resurrection to say to those people, despite all that you're going through, there is hope. And there's evidence for that hope. What God has done through the centuries and what he has done through Jesus on the cross and then being resurrected brings us hope and it brings you hope. And it's a hope that can never perish or spoil or fade or be taken away. It's a solid hope we can pin our lives on. He looked at the past to bring hope for the future. And that's Peter encouraging the church, bring them hope 30 or 40 years after Jesus died, which would be about 60 or 70 years after he was born. But before that first Christmas when Jesus was born, God's people have been waiting for centuries for this hope. They've been waiting for centuries for someone to come Someone called the Messiah in the Old Testament to come and rescue them from the oppression they'd experienced again and again and again through the Egyptians, through the Babylonians, through the Romans. Time and again they'd been oppressed and they were waiting for the promise of this Messiah coming to take them out of this, this oppression, to defeat whichever group it was, and at that time the Romans, and then pull them free from them. And there's a beautiful story in the Gospel of Luke about a guy called, an old man called Simeon, who goes and visits the temple when Joseph and Mary, Jesus' parents, take him there. When he's still a baby, he goes to the temple, he's led by the Spirit and holds him in his arms and he sees the hope in this baby. And yeah, there we go. Simeon, um, Simeon's story in Luke 2, 25 to 32 says, at this time, a man named Simeon was traveling, was living in Jerusalem. Simeon was a good man. He loved God and was waiting for him to save the people of Israel. God's spirit came to him and told him that he would not die until he had seen Christ the Lord. When Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple to do what the law of Moses said he says should be done for a new baby, the spirit told Simeon to go into the temple. Simeon took the baby Jesus in his arms and praised God. He said, Lord, I am your servant and now I can die in peace because you have kept your promise to me. With my own eyes, I have seen 
what you have done to save your people, and foreign nations will also see this. Your mighty power is a light for all nations, and it will bring honor to your people Israel. Now the passage suggests that he, and then later a lady called Anna, who was also in the temple, that they knew God's promises. They knew what happened in the past. And they looked at that and they saw in this baby, in Simeon's arms, they saw the hope of all the years summed up in this baby right there. They saw, as the carol says, the hopes and fears of all the years met in thee, in Jesus, that night. They looked at God's promises from the past and all that God had done for his people. And they looked at this tiny baby in the present and they knew there was a true living hope for the future. Now, so far I've talked about what hope is and what it meant to the earliest followers of Jesus. But I want to now look at what it means for us. What Jesus means for us. What the coming of Christ in that baby and then later his life and his death and resurrection, what does that actually mean for us? What hope does that bring us? Well, about 700 years before Jesus was born, there was a, a guy called Isaiah, the prophet, who predicted Jesus' birth and his life. And he wrote some very famous promises, some very famous prophecies about Jesus. And if you've ever sung a few carols, been in church a little bit, received a kind of Jesus-y Christmas card, you may well have heard some of these. So I'm going to read them out and then talk about them. First says, and this is from Isaiah 7, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And second is a couple of chapters later in Isaiah 9. And this is probably the most famous. For us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then skipping forward a few hundred years to just before, um, well, about nine months before Jesus was born, um, an angel visited Joseph, the father of Jesus, to tell him that his wife, Mary, would become pregnant with God himself. And the angel says the following, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because... He will save people from their sins. Now, between these passages, there are some profound claims about Jesus, about who he is and what he has done and will do. He is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, and Savior. Those are bold, profound claims. And even if they're just a little bit true, if we pause for a minute and just say, if those are true, then they are absolutely life-changing. They are world-shaping. They are universe-defining. They are eternity-securing, and they are hope-bringing. Let me say those again. If we believe that really Jesus is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, and Savior. They will change your life. Those promises. They have shaped the world. Huge parts of the world have been shaped by the ministry of Jesus in the last 2,000 
he is. They are universe-defining. If we believe that he is everlasting Father and mighty God, that defines the beginning and the end of the universe itself. And they are eternity-securing. If we believe these claims, if we believe he is the Savior that can rescue us from our sins, that gives us the hope of eternity. If we believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again to save us from our sins, that gives us a hope that can never spoil, never perish, never be destroyed. And because of all that, they are hope-giving. So just to briefly look at a few of those in a little bit more detail, Emmanuel, God with us, and Prince of Peace. Whilst I was talking with Zach and Tom, uh, the the two guys getting back to this today, we talked about some things in preparation for this, and they asked a question to me, which was, what difference has baptism made to you? I thought it was a great question. And part of my response to that was, baptism and following Jesus has given me a peace that I never had before. And that's because I have a hope for the future. I know God is with me, and through his presence, I have peace. Through the confidence he gives me about the future, I have peace. And through the confidence I have because I know who I am, I know who I was created to be, and I know that God has good things, whether it be in this life or in eternity, for me and for those around me. I know that I can have peace. So for me, one of the biggest things baptism and following Jesus has brought is that sense of peace that can only come through Jesus. And people see it in Christians. One of the most common things I hear is when people uh, decide to follow Jesus, they will have seen someone or met someone and said, there's just something about them. They seem a bit more peaceful, a bit more confident in situations that other people are getting more, more, more worried about. So this peace is a promise of the Holy Spirit. And it's because God is with us. And it's because we have the hope that cannot be destroyed. And finally, Jesus is Savior. He has saved us from our sins. And if that sounds strange to you, the idea of being saved from one's sins, well, God is pure. Jesus is pure. And to be able to be in relationship with God, to know that we have a secure eternity, we have to first be forgiven of our sins. And we can't do that ourselves. We have no power to do that. The only person who can do that is Jesus, and he's done it. Through his death and resurrection, he saved us to a new life, dying from our old life into a new life in relationship with the Lord with a hope that cannot be destroyed. That's what he's, he saved us into. And this is the promise of Jesus summed up in that little baby. All the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. So when we look at God's faithfulness over the centuries before Jesus was born and we look at what Jesus did during his life, when we look at his death and his resurrection, when we look at these things, when we look at the past, and we look at what he does now, we can have a living hope for the future. And it all came together in that moment when Jesus was born, that baby. And that's the hope that we have that can never be changed, never be spoilt, never be broken, never taken away.